everyone, and welcome to Season 5 of Movie Rob Minutes. Welcome back, everyone. I want to once again thank all of my guests and listeners for helping make the past four seasons such a success. This season, we'll be continuing to yippee our way through the Die Hard series with the second film in the franchise, Die Hard 2, Die Harder, one minute at a time. For those unfamiliar with the premise of, of an MXM podcast, it was originated by Alex Robinson and Peter Retailer back in 2013 when they began the Star Wars Minute, which is now in its 11th season. If it wasn't for their hard work over the last decade or so, most of us would never be doing this. There are currently over 240 MXM podcasts as of this recording, and it, the, the list is still growing. I want to give a shout out to all of the MXMers who came before me and helping to inspire me to do this crazy idea. They're, they have a Facebook forum, and through that, I've made lots of new friends who've been so helpful in the aspects of creating this kind of show. Many of them have guested, many of them you've heard, many of them you'll hear this, this season again, because some of them are new to my show, but previous MXMers. Personal note, I want to especially thank Jay Cluett of the Deep Blue Sea podcast and the Conair podcast for getting me to finally starting my own show. Obviously, I'm now in my fifth season, so this was a while ago, but you know he still deserves a little bit of credit, even though he doesn't feel that he deserves the credit, but I, I do. I feel that he deserves that credit. So without Jay, I don't think this ever would have come to fruition with his prodding and asking, you know, when are you going to start yours? When are you going to start yours? And, you know, he, he, he lit the fire under me and, and I started it. In addition, I want to also thank uh, David Brooke for his musical intro and outro, both for last season and this season again. We have uh, musical interludes from him. You can Hopefully you'll like that music, and if you do, you can send a message to David, and you can thank him also, besides the fact that I keep thanking him for this. Uh, I also want to thank Travis Bow for the logo and poster art that he's done for, for this season also. So thanks a lot, guys. I really appreciate it. So this season, we're going to have 25 weeks of shows delivered to you every weekday from now until the beginning of November. So sit back and enjoy everything in these 124 episodes as my weekly guests and I will begin to dissect this amazing sequel to the blockbuster hit Die Hard in minute detail, one minute at a time. Uh, once again, I'm going to do things slightly different this time around. Uh, I hope to give all, all you listeners uh, so much more to enjoy as uh, my guests and I dive deep into this movie over the next next uh, uh, half a year. Look out for... Uh, Five new features that we're gonna that will appear throughout uh, this season. We'll uh, once again have an off the beaten track, which will be an airplane airport edition. We will have McLean Monday, Disaster Tuesday, Aviation Thursday, and a brand new feature for me at least, which is called Where Are They This Weekend? Which you'll have to show up on Fridays to find out what what that actually is. My guest for this week, uh, as has been for the last uh, three seasons and for the fourth time in a row. Uh, my first, or actually, you were my, he was also my first guest on the first season also, so I guess that, that's sort of included, even though it was it was a little different uh, back then. But So my guest for this week is the aforementioned host of the Deep Blue Sea podcast and the Conair podcast, Jay Cluett. Welcome back to the inaugural episode of season five, and this week, Jay. Thank you for having me back, Rob. Thrilled to be here, as always. Thrilled to just sit here in silence listening to you thank me. Something I deserve my <laughs> thanks for, uh, as always. It doesn't matter if you feel that you deserve the thanks or not. You know, the, the, I do. And that's what's important. You know, I'm willing to, okay. to give credit where credit is due. Whether you don't feel that you need that credit, that, that's fine. That, that actually works with your, you know, humble uh, upbringing. 
where you feel that way, but that's fine. So well, why not? I'm happy to be back to talk about Die Hard 2, another Die Hard film, another one of the, the best three Die Hard films. Wait, there's more than three? <laughs> but, yes, there, there are four, I believe. Yeah, well, we'll, we'll eventually figure that out uh, over the course of the next few seasons, hopefully. I think that that's, uh, that's the biggest question. How many Die Hard movies are there? Uh, probably, I, I think there's there's a trilogy, and then there's like a, another add-on, and then there's something else that that probably shouldn't even uh, be discussed. But we'll, we'll, I'll figure out some way to deal with that one in the future. It's it's not my decision to make. But I feel like there's enough in the fourth one to talk about. I don't think there's enough in the fabled fifth one. Oh, I agree. That's I agree, it. and that's that's currently <laughs> my plan. My before. plan is that that you know. We will do three. My plan is we will do four. And my plan for five is I will do something with five, but I don't think I'm going to do the entire movie minute by minute. That, that's currently the plan. I obviously have a number of seasons to worry about uh, beforehand. So I'm not, I'm not even thinking right now what, what I'm going to do about five. You know, I mean, right now we're in the fifth season. Sixth season won't be Die Hard. Seven will hopefully be Die Hard 3. Eight will not be Die Hard. Nine will be Die Hard 4. 10 will be something else. And so we're only talking about season 11. Uh, if if I want to even do that as season 11, maybe I will just have it as a, a bonus episode at the end of season nine. Who knows? Uh, but I don't think that far ahead. This is, I don't even know what I'm doing for season yeah, six yet. It's like, it's like three years down the line. Exactly. So that's not even. That's right. Uh, like I said, I don't know what I'm doing for season six. So we'll just have to wait and see. And we'll play it by ear. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that, that five is at the end, as opposed to one of the ones in the middle where you need to figure it out while you're going along yeah you know so yeah so minute one of die hard 2 begins with the 20th century fox fanfare and ends with john pleading with joey chibiani's father so before we get into the minute itself let's just talk a little bit about the stats of this this movie okay this movie was released on the 3rd of july 1990 uh, even though I did find some places that it was that's listed that that it debuted on the sixth, uh, it could be that it only went into you know full uh, release on the sixth, which was a Friday. But personally, I remember seeing it on the third and the fourth. I saw it two days in a row. This is I think the, one of two movies that I've seen two days in a row uh, in the theater. Uh, the other one is one of Jay's favorite movies, Jurassic Park. Jurassic Park. Yes, I saw that in the theater one night, and I went the next day to see it with a with with a different friend, just like what I did with Die Hard. You know, there was a. Uh, I, I remember that the first showing of Die Hard two on July fourth, in nineteen ninety, was at like twelve thirty in the afternoon or something like that. So I I scheduled with a friend that we would go, uh, and then what? Uh, and then I found out like two days before that there was a special showing on July third at night. I think it was maybe at 7.30 or something like that. So I tried getting this friend to go with me instead, and he, he had other plans, so he couldn't do it. So I got a different friend to go with me, and I went and saw it. And I still remember you know, calling up my, my the, the friend that was supposed to go with me had a radio show. And I remember calling him up after and saying, wow. And he's like, yeah, did you, did you listen? Did you, what did you think of it? And he was talking about his radio show, and I was talking about Die Hard 2. So... <laughs> <laughs> I was like, no, I didn't listen to your radio show, but you know. And then he went with me the following day, and we both had a blast once again. So yeah, that's when it was released. Uh, the filming dates of the movie were from the 14th of December 1989 to the 14th of May 
1990, which I find really, really interesting that this show is actually, this season of the show is debuting on the 15th of May. So, you know, it's, it's literally, uh, what is it, 33 years to the day after they, they, they finished filming yesterday, 33 years to the day, and here we are talking about the movie. So I, I like that. Um, the budget of the movie was $70 million. And its domestic take was 118 million, and its international take was 122 million, which was a worldwide total of 240 million, which at the time obviously is a very high uh, amount for uh, for a movie. Today, that that's chump, so this, ch chump change, as they say. Well, this was the highest budgeted film of all time when it was when it was made. That... Die Hard 2 held that. It, it was it was the most expensive film ever made for a very short amount of time. Most expensive film from what perspective? Uh, the budget. The seventy million, How much or it cost what to it made. The film. Yeah, the seventy million. Really? There was nothing. Okay. Yep. That's interesting. Uh, it, it, and, then, and then it was be it was beaten very shortly afterwards by Terminator Two, so it didn't hold the title for very long. Well, Terminator Two came out a year later, so it was a year. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Exactly. See, I, I, I didn't know that. Thank you very much for that. For that information. Well, I, I did. Uh, I was going to plug it later on, but I recently did an episode on Die Hard Two. Everyone deeply see the podcast, uh, okay. so I, I had some research in my head already for that one. Okay. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. It was uh, in, in in on IMDb. There are absolutely no award nominations for this movie. Uh, obviously, you know, even though Die Hard One did have, I think, three or four Oscar nominations, this one didn't get anything. Which isn't such a surprise, I guess you could say. Where do you think Die Hard 2 fits in on the domestic take in the U.S. in 1990? Meaning, if you if you look at the top 10 movies that came out, okay, and only talking oh. about the budget within... Um, no, actually, we're talking about the full budget. The full budget of the movie, movies that came out in 1990. Where do you think? Do you think it's in the top 10 or do you think it's lower? So wait, I'm looking, I'm, how much it grossed? How much it cost? How much gross? Grossed. Oh, I no, it cost. You, you just told me that that it cost the most yeah, of yeah. anything. So obviously that was. That's one. why I was confused. Yes. I've I, I just double checked, and it, it did. It did definitely have the most expensive uh, film of made, but it, it only beat it beat Total Recall from the same year. So that's a number that films just kept on leapfrogging each other in terms of how much. See, they that amazes like, me because Total because Recall, of the 19... number of special effects they used in Total Recall, you know, that were groundbreaking effects you'd think that that it would have cost more money to do all that well uh i mean have you listened to the commentary for die hard 2 really uh i've listened to parts of it because i listened to it you know week okay, by i'd week. recommend listening to the whole thing yeah ray harlan's a fantastic uh, commentator of his yes. films and uh as i'm sure you'll go into over the course of the season this was an expensive film to make uh for reasons i've got some some tidbits i'll drop later this week uh, when it becomes appropriate, but yeah, this this was not a uh, a cheap and easy shoot to make this Correct. film. Um, Correct. So the things things went wrong. Well, because they they uh, had to yeah, move all over the to... all over the country, you know, to film. Well, they had to bring in the snow. Yes. There was no, there is no snow in this. That's film. correct. So they had to make snow. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, but yeah, you'd so, think so, that so, they're so, making the snow would be somewhat cheaper than than doing all the special effects they did in Total Recall, but but I could be wrong about that. Uh, I, I would say you are because they had to bring in industrial snow machines to make this. The, the, they couldn't have like, watery, water-based snow anywhere near an airport. 
so they had to make this specialist snow had to make I like I had to bring in these industrial snow making machines that made a special type of snow that's been running like four hours before they started filming each day wow. so yeah it's 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 understandable why this film costs so much okay money. that's fair uh, but, but yeah you're right I, I will get into yeah. that see what I do is when I listen to the commentary I only listen to it five minutes at a time in order to to, to keep yeah, myself focused on the the five minutes that we're that we're talking about each week yeah absolutely absolutely but there, there is there is snow technically in this but snow technically in this first yes. minute so it's appropriate to okay over there. that's fair uh so where does this come in terms of box office i think it's going to be pretty high up there uh, i'm not I, I don't know a lot of films that come out in 1990 but this is going to be in the top 10 i reckon okay so it is in the top 10 yes where do you think it is in the top 10 okay i'm gonna say number three okay it's just top all right head. so number one uh in 1990 was home alone which made $285 million. Number two was Ghost with 217. Yep. Okay, which which again, yep, that's a sense. really big difference between Home Alone and Ghost. Think about that. That's that's uh, we're talking almost seventy almost seventy million dollar difference that Home Alone made over Ghost. Yeah, but what one of them is a big big family friendly uh, Christmas like everyone going to see it at Christmas. The other one is a kind of a odd fantasy love okay. story i mean i've seen ghost ghost is fine You've but it's a very strange it? pitch oh i have I've, i think it's i think it's fine i just think it's a very very strange film to pitch like hey we're gonna go see this film where well the hero dies in the opening yes. scene that's true <laughs> then he possesses Whoopi goldberg and has a relationship it's just it's a very uh uh unusual yes. film okay that's true it's an unusual to pitch it but but it works the way that it comes out yeah so the fact that it's not it's number two of the year is incredible number three is dances with wolves which made 184 million okay. which again you know a, a difference of 33 million dollars you know ghost made 33 million more than yeah, dances with wolves. i think part of that has to do with the fact that dances with wolves is you know a three three plus hour epic you know so they make less money i, I also not very good uh no i personally i love it it's not something I would do minute by minute, but but because I don't know enough about uh, the Pawnee to talk about that, and I don't think I want to know more about the Pawnee. So I think that's part of it also. Um, but I, I I like Dances with Wolves. Uh, number four was Pretty Woman, which made 178 okay. million. I find it I find it odd that Ghost made more than Pretty Woman because Pretty Woman is a much more conventional. True. Film. But there we are. Uh, number five is Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Which made 135 million. That's one I have not seen. I, I don't I don't know if I've seen this one. I know I saw one of them. Maybe I did see this recently. Uh, I don't know. I, I didn't really like I it very much. Again, we're talking a 40 million dollar difference between Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and Pretty Woman, which makes sense. But what doesn't make sense is that all the rest of the movies that you know the, the lower half of the top ten are all you know less than Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. So number six was The Hunt for Red October, <laughs> which made 122. Okay. Yeah. Bring it back there to ten. Number yeah. seven is Total Recall, which made 119. Okay, number eight, mm-hmm. we get Die Hard 2 at one, which is at right. 118. Okay. So it only, you know, it's it's funny that you mentioned earlier that that Total Recall's budget was slightly lower than Die Hard 2, but Die Hard 2 was their its gross take in the U.S. is slightly lower also. So yeah, that that's uh interesting number nine we jumped down to 103 million with dick tracy which i'm I'm not really much of a fan of that i don't know no it's it's fine i yeah 
You know, I, I think the makeup there is great, but I don't think anything beyond that. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, and great. that's all I, all I can remember is yeah. the makeup. And number 10 is Kindergarten Cop. Yeah. A, a film I have not seen. You've never seen Kindergarten Cop? Not all the way through. I've seen bits here and there, but not all the way through. Okay. Uh, it's not a tumor. Uh... <laughs> that, that much I know, yes. <laughs> okay. Um, so that made 91 million. So that, that's the top 10. So opening weekend, uh, which was the weekend of July 6th, you know, the July 4th uh, weekend, because July 4th uh, came out in the middle of the week. So, you know, it, the, it doesn't really, it, it didn't add an extra day or anything like that to the, you know, to the tallies or anything like that. How much do you think Die Hard made in its first weekend? And what number do you think it was in the top five? I'm very bad at these kind of things, uh, especially for uh, uh, 33 years ago. Um, I'm going to say it made 15 million in its opening weekend, and it was number two. Okay, it made 21 million, and it was number one. Okay. Number one, and it, it, uh, number two that week was Days of Thunder, which was in its second week. Dick Tracy was, was in its fourth week. That was number three. The Jetsons movie was released the, Yes, it was released that week also, and that was number four. And Total Recall, which was in its sixth week, uh, was number five. So let's move down to week number two. Where do you think it was? Where do you think Die Hard was? I, I mean, I don't know what else came out, so I don't know. Okay, the other new releases. Okay, I'll tell you, there, there were actually the week after there were three it. new releases. There's Ghost, The Jungle Book, and Ford Fairlane. Ah, <laughs> oh, Ford Fairlane. The other Rennie Harden film that he made yes. before this one. Yeah, but came out the week after because they screwed him. Uh, yeah, so, so I'm going to say that Ghost probably went in straight st- st- away. So this probably dropped down to number two. Nope. I know the four nope. fellings. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. That's true. But no, uh, Die Hard was still number one with 14 million. Ghost only made okay. 12 million that week, so it was number two. Days of Thunder was number three with 8 million. Then you have Jungle Book and then Fort Fairlane surprisingly still made it into the top five. Yeah, it didn't stay there for very long. Nope. No. No. Okay, week number three. What was number one? What, what else? Did anything else come out? There were no new releases that week. Okay, I think at this point, Ghost may have cranked up to number one and died down to number two. That is correct. Ghost okay. uh, made 12 million. Uh, once again, Die Hard 2 made 10 million. And then you have Arachnophobia, which made eight. Navy Seals made six. And The Jungle Book also made six. And Ford Fairlane that week was dropped down to number nine. Yeah, you know, just as a. I like uh, Ford, I like the adventures of Ford Fairlane. It got. It, I mean, I only I've only seen it for the first time in the past year for the DPC show. Uh, but it's right. I, I wasn't aware of like Nice Clay before I watched it. Uh, but I liked it. It's <laughs> it's fun. It's like he's a rock and roll detective. What's not to like? Exactly. <laughs> there's a, oh, there, there's, there's a, a lot of fun things about it. I, there's no question about that. There's an animatronic uh, koala. <laughs> Okay, so and then the the final week that that we will discuss is uh, week number four, where Die Hard actually drops down to number five. That week, the number one was Presumed Innocence, which debuted that week, July 27th. And Ford Fairlane is down to number 11 this week. I'm surprised it's that high. Yeah, exactly. And then through the subsequent weeks, Die Hard dropped down to six, nine, eleven. 16, there's a week that there is no data on Box Office Mojo for some reason. I don't know why. And then 15, and then after, and which was on September 14th. 
And then after that, it was gone from the top 10. So the fact that it still stayed in the top 10 two months is still pretty impressive, you know, for a movie that, especially since there are so many other movies that are coming out that year, you know, in the summer. Do you think it would have done better if it came out nearer Christmas? Mm, Probably not, because Home Alone probably dominated at that point. That's true. That that would that would be my guess, you know. I don't know when the Hunt for Red October came out. It might have. I think that was also the summer. I'm not really sure. Oh, yeah, he said it was in it was in Die Hard 2's first week, wasn't it? He said no. No, I did not. No, I Total Recall. It was in the top. It was in the top ten. Sorry. Yeah. It was in the top ten. Exactly. Yeah. Um. I mean, I saw I saw Hunt for Red October also in the theater. Um. I don't. Rem- I don't think it was a. Um. I don't think it was a Christmas release. I'm not really sure. So it, it, no, it came out came out in March. So I saw listeners. I saw none of these films in the theater because I was three. I, I well, I knew that. <laughs> okay, Hunter <laughs> okay, October came out in March. So yeah, that that uh, wouldn't. I didn't even see Home Alone. You did or did not? Okay. Your parents would take a three year old to see Home Alone. Okay, no. uh, they took a four year old to see the line. They couldn't have. Oh, wait, they couldn't on. have. The, the Lion King came out four years later. So if you didn't age for three years, then maybe that was. So I, I was. <laughs> that is what happened. I'm not gonna say how. Maybe you were, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's the first times I saw the light like, before Christmas. So they put you in carbonite yeah. somehow. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, why can. not? <laughs> um, okay, some of the reviews of this movie. So uh, Roger Ebert gave it three and a half stars. Uh, even though he says that he liked Dick Tracy more, Roger Ebert did not like Die Hard the first time he saw it, and the first one. And then on subsequent views, he said that he actually appreciated it much more. But apparently, you know, this one was only three and a half stars for him out of four. So, you know, and then Gene Siskel, you know, his, Ebert's partner at the time on their TV show, uh, actually gave it four stars and called it the best film of the summer. So. I, I am surprised by these rave reviews. I don't. I, I like Die Hard too. Fine. Uh, it's just, I'm surprised by, by the long. Well, what can you do? Well, how many? Uh, what what percentage do you think it's fresh on Rotten Tomatoes? Oh, uh, Rennie Holland does not have many fresh films. Um, it's probably going to be in the fifties. Mm, I guess seventy. Fifty-five. Seventy. Fifty-seven. And, in, okay. and the, the audience uh, review. On Rotten Tomatoes is also seventy percent. I personally think it should be a little higher, but okay, right. that's fine. <laughs> hey, so you think more than seventy percent of, of film critics would give this a positive review? Well, there's a difference between giving something a positive review and giving it. You know, I'm not saying that that they're all going to say that it that it's a four out of four or a ten out of ten or or even three point five out of ten you know, or three point five out of five out of four like Ebert. But still, you know, I. I it's it's an enjoyable popcorn movie for what it's worth. You know, it does what it's what it's intended to do. This is not a movie that was going to win any Oscars, uh, especially not in acting categories or in you know it might maybe something you know below the line, but not nothing uh, not, none of the top categories. So, but when you go see a movie like this, you know what you're expecting, and this movie delivers from that perspective. Yes. You know, yeah, so it's a question of what, what you're what you're I guess it, it, what it you're depends. gauging it against. If you're going to gauge it against, uh, you know, Dancing with Wolves, <laughs> I already know your answer to that. But you know, you know, it's not it, Die Hard Two is is yeah, not Die an Hard artsy movie. Let's put it that way. You know that. Okay. Uh, on Metacritic, what do you what do you think the user score is? 
And what do you think its Metascore is? I don't even know what Metacritic uses as a score. Is that letter grades or what? Numbers, numbers. One, uh, one through ten. Oh, uh, uh, stick with seven. Okay, so it gives it, they give it an eight point three. Okay. There are three hundred and seventy-two uh, positive reviews, sixty mixed reviews, and sixteen negative. Okay, and then the the Metascore, which is based on on uh, I guess real reviewers or uh, you know, accredited reviewers as opposed to uh, internet reviewers or whatever it is. So there, it gets get a sixty-seven percent, which is seventeen. There, which is based on seventeen reviews. Thirteen of them are positive, three are negative, and one is mixed. So again, what it comes down to is is that people enjoy this movie, whether they think it's the best movie ever. That's a separate issue. But okay. you know, it's an enjoyable movie. I enjoy it a lot. You know, yeah, I, I, I hope you do. I mean, I, I, I know you enjoy it to some point, you know, you know, not not like you enjoy uh, Home Alone, I guess, but, you know, you still enjoy it. <laughs> this is true. That's absolutely fair. Okay, exactly. All right. So let's, uh, yeah, unless you have anything else to say about the movie itself. Uh, I mean, uh, in general, I have general thoughts. To me. This this always feels like kind of the, the other, the also ran Die Hard film. Like my first Die Hard film was with a Vengeance, which I love. I love the first one because it's it's a classic. Uh, Die Hard Two is is a very good film, but it it always feels to me like it's uh, it it falls short of bit because it's it's not Die Hard. It's like if this was a standalone film, if this was like a if Die Hard One never existed and this came out, I think this would get a lot more love. Uh, it's very possible. It, it's a lot tra- of the jokes wouldn't make sense, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, they have to adjust the script a little they bit. Spend, like, who, is, who is this they guy? They spend way too much time. They spend way too much time in this movie saying, "Why does this keep happening to us?" You know, exactly. That, that's and one like, of my why, biggest why complaints just, about it. He's faxed this stranger, this other police guy in this other city, and they've never mentioned who he is. Uh, uh, but I think because it lives in the shadow of Die Hard. Uh, it's had a negative effect on public opinion of it, my guess would be. Okay, that's fair. But as it stands, I, th- I, I think it needs... I, I, I'm happy that you're doing it minute by minute, because I feel like this needs a, a, an in-depth appraisal. I think more people uh, respect, give this film the respect that it's due. Yeah, I, I mean, there are a lot of people that I've spoken to that 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 wanted that were interested in being a part of this, and they said to me, but I haven't seen the movie, or I've only seen it once, or something like that. So, you know, it, we might have some very interesting perspectives over the course of of uh, this season, you know, I from people because in the past, in the past, most of the movies, everyone who's talked about it has pretty much praised everything. So we'll have to wait and see. Maybe there might be someone here who won't be as uh, positive as uh, it's, it's, as I would like them to be. Yeah. This is your first film you're covering that isn't like a, a nailed-on classic. That's Correct. Like, all the other films but are I, bit, I, like the greatest film in that genre kind of thing. <laughs> and I was like, oh, that's and then, then I had to. Yeah. Well, what can you do? <laughs> you have to, you have to, you know, mix it up a little bit. Especially since I knew that that you know I started off. Uh, season two was 1987. Season three was 1988. Season four was 1989. And so you know, it just it it was just asking for me to do 1990. Yeah, and you know, since the plan is to cover the whole series, at least somewhat, as I said earlier, uh, <laughs> so. It, it it worked. It worked. I'm, I'm not going to skip for. I'm not going to. I'm not looking for something to do in 1991 to next season though. So I, this is probably it for the for for the successive uh, years. You know, 87 to 90. 
All right, now we're gonna jump in. You know, we were waiting for Jay to turn four, and then we'll be out of here. You know. Okay. Even though okay. you, you only you you only turned four a few you know uh, a few weeks after this movie came out. So. That's true. Yeah, and it was no longer in the top in the top five. That's why I didn't say it. <laughs> I refused. Apparently, apparently, Jay's parents said, "We're not taking a four-year-old to see a movie that's not in the top five anymore." It's trash. <laughs> we'll, we'll take him to go see the Dick Tracy or the Jetsons. You know, who knows? Or the Jungle Book. <laughs> I, I haven't seen two of those films. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe you did. You just don't remember. I don't think you yeah. were. I don't think you were marking things down in Letterbox or IMDb or wherever you mark your stuff down uh, at that time. Very true. I'm not even sure when this came out in England. Uh, I didn't. I didn't even look that up. I'm just checking yeah. it now. Uh, oh, it came out August 24th, so I was already four at that point. There you go. There you go. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. That it's yeah. it's unbelievable that you didn't see it. I know. I'm sorry. I'm very disappointed. Very disappointed in you and your parents. You and me both. <laughs> I wonder what four-year-old Jake would have thought of this movie. Very, very little. Yeah. I was you. <laughs> you would have, you would have gone home that day and said to your parents, "You became motherfucker." And they would say, "I think this is the last R-rated movie we're taking Jay to see for a while." Yeah, that that sounds about right. <laughs> <laughs> My, I, I remember that. Uh, uh, this was probably a few years after. Uh, this was probably somewhere in the mid '90s. So I, I had a nephew that was born in 1990, and he was reading a book about the red fox, and he would always say the red fox. You know, we all just cracked up every single time because we couldn't figure out where he got that that <laughs> that phrase from, or at least that's what it sounded like. So who knows? Exactly. So Die Hard 2, minute one. I, I already said this, but I'll say it again. Minute one begins with the 20th Century Fox fanfare and ends with John pleading with Joey Tribbiani's father. 20th Century Fox uh, logo. We're not going to go into any information about that because we did that two seasons ago. So no, no need to be repetitious. You know, so we go through the fanfare. And then the, I like the way they actually start this movie because it's great. As soon as, you know, first of all, you have a black screen and you hear like a big clunk, big, you know, Big sound. You you have no clue what's what you're hearing. You know, it doesn't make any sense. And you hear like a grinding sound and stuff like that. You know, and first of all, I mean the the fanfare takes twenty one seconds and then the we, we also hear like an airplane flying overhead, you know, which goes on for about seven seconds. And you know, the the sound actually reminded me of the sound from plane changes automobiles. I mean, I know that airplanes pretty much sound the same, but you know, it, yeah. I wonder if they use the same sound clip for something like that. I, you know, I even though they're surprised. different, yeah. Even though they're different companies, but who knows? So we hear this big clunk, and then as we're we're watching the screen, there's a great sound effect, which I can't even describe the sound of the way it is. It it you know you, it has die hard come from the die comes from the left hand side of the screen. And the hard comes from the right hand side of the screen, and then they like push. They're pushed together. You hear like a big clanging sound. I guess it's a really you can like say. a heavy clunk. I think it's yeah. great. It's a great noise. Yeah, and then and then you have like the two come from us. You know, onto you know it comes from, uh, you know, not it's uh, it wouldn't say it's three D. It's the opposite of three D. You know, yeah. it's coming from us and going onto the screen. It's like we're, you're, we're you're dropping a stamp of approval. Right. 
it's like, but but it's coming straight forward. It's not even coming from above. Yeah. You know, that type of thing. It's like, it's like it's being stamped in or something like that. And that is actually the only uh, credit that they have in this movie at the, yeah. the very beginning, which is there's there's no names of actors. There's no names, the, the director, screenwriter, nothing. I was surprised. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I wonder if they, they got in trouble by the, uh, you know, by the, who, who, who deals with that? The, uh, uh, is, is it the Actors Guild or something? There's, I, there's I someone. don't know, but they, I think when you it's get the people, the It's the people that, that George Lucas got into a lot of trouble with because he didn't want to put, you know, everyone's names at the beginning of the movie. Well, maybe when you get to the closing credits, you might have like a, a block of uh, credits and then the credits. Sometimes they do it that way, where they'll have like yeah, the correct. But at this time, it, this know. was, but but at this time, it was something that wasn't done as as much. Yeah, you know, it, it was how, still. How was it done with with Die Hard? Did they have opening credits for Die Hard? Yeah, sure, sure. Okay. They I have they have all the names. We, we would have talked about it, but I can't remember. We did. We talked about it. We have the names show up on screen. You know, as we had, they had Die Hard come from both sides of the screen. Also, yeah. you know, when when they're next to the uh, uh, baggage claim. Yeah. Okay. I remember the baggage claim. I remember the title. Yeah. Yeah. And then we 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 hear a, a grinding sound, and then the screen the shot opens and we see uh, something that looks very strange. You know, and uh, you know you see a license plate on a car, and you see some chains, and it, it's pretty quick to understand what, what's going on. This is a, a tow truck that's, uh, you know, that that's uh, a car is being connected to and is being pulled up. Now, I looked at the license plate number here, and I looked at the information on the license plate. Okay, so it's a Virginia license plate, uh, TB7639. Don't worry, I didn't try and find where that real uh, license plate appears. You don't have to worry about that, Jay. But what They're on the show next week. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and what's interesting is that on, on license plates, they have a tag on them that says, you know, when the registration ends. Right. And so the expiration tag on the license plate says October 1990, which basically tells us that this movie is taking place in Christmas 1989. Which is you know, when they were filming it. That makes sense. Which is exactly when they were filming it. Correct. But again, it goes back to the whole question we were asking about with Die Hard of what year that takes place. Now, as I've learned from you over the years, okay, we, it we doesn't take, matter. It doesn't matter, that's for sure. But we also take for take into consideration that this movie, you know, in the world of this movie, this is taking place in 1989. Whether it's the same 1989 as as we know, you know, or not, is something that we shall never know because they also never tell us what day of the week this is. This you know, true. and yeah. or what day that we we know it's before Christmas. We don't know how many days before Christmas. Uh, yeah, airports but, are always going to be busy on, on Christmas. Well, they say Christmas Eve, I think. Don't they say Christmas Eve? This is, no, there's no, no way not. that this is Christmas Eve. Okay. Um, I highly doubt that that. Uh, I mean, this is a little bit of a spoiler for next week, but I highly doubt that that Holly will be flying into her parents' house on Christmas Eve, and then she would agree to go to a motel with with uh, with John. Yes. That night. Fair enough. You know. It's it's possible that it's Actually, the day yeah, before. And, and uh, Joey Tribbianos, the senior, does say he that um, he can pick up the car tomorrow. Correct. Well, maybe they're open. The maybe they're open on Christmas. You never know. I doubt it. <laughs> 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 yeah. 
I mean, I didn't look up because because of our conversations that we've had over the years. You know, I didn't even look up to see what day of the week uh, Christmas Eve was in 1989. So I couldn't couldn't tell you, you know, how close we are for that. I don't know. Uh, but I will now look it up because of that. Great. I just did a search for when was Christmas Day in 1989, and the answer I got was December 25th. <laughs> yes. I guessed it. Hooray. I'm right. <laughs> yeah. Well, the, 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 the top movie that, that day was uh, Back to the Future Part 2 and, and Parenthood. Those were the top two movies uh, Christmas Eve. <laughs> but that's not what I want. <laughs> That's really funny. That that's what they tell me. Uh, okay, so Christmas Eve was a Monday night okay. in in our world in 1989. No, sorry, it was I... a Sunday night. Excuse me, it was a Sunday night. So, okay. my assumption, and again, this could be wrong, is that this was probably this is probably taking place Friday night. No, actually, then again, it wouldn't be open. Hmm, so maybe this is Thursday night. No, I think this could be Friday night. I think the the impound might be open on Saturday. Uh huh. Okay. Could be. Yeah. So my 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 guess is that this would be Friday. As well. right. So this is either the, the the this is probably the twenty second of of December. You know, yeah. Because wife... the airport it's a very busy airport. There's a lot. I mean, as you'd expect on Christmas, but this like Friday could be like people fi finishing like on a, on a lunch lunchtime on Friday and then getting the plane somewhere. Right. For Christmas, I think that's a lot yeah. of that happening. Okay. That's fair. That's fair. So then we see the tow truck uh, raising the car up, and uh, then we, we hear John McClane saying, hey, whoa, yo, false alarm. Hold it. And I'm okay. He's, he's on the back foot from second one of this film. He's like, everything's already against him. Classic yeah. John McClane. Exactly. Yeah, immediately. We, all we know about him is he's, he's in trouble here. He goes, it's okay. I'm here. Here we are. It's the all right. One that we see him. Set it down nice and easy, huh? And then uh, we, we get to meet the police officer that, that he's working with, uh, and it's uh, Robert uh, Costanzo. Are you are you familiar with him at all? Uh, I've seen him in a bunch of things, um, obviously, as you mentioned, in Friends. Uh, but I think this is the role I, I kind of... Okay, so his, his, he, was, he was born on October 20th, 1942. When this movie came out, he was 47 years old when they were filming this movie, which when I look at him, he still looks to me as being older than 47. I don't know why. He was actually... He was, One of those faces. Right. Could be. He was born on... Uh, he was born the same day as Earl Hindman. Do you know who that is? Oh, the name rings a bell. He played Wilston uh, on Home Improvement, and he played Mr. Brown That's, on the yeah. original Taking a Pelham 123. Okay, yeah. Okay. Uh, Wait, I had no idea that Wilson was in Pelham 123. Ooh. Ah. <laughs> I love that film. And I am familiar with that show. Start, that's, start getting, that's crazy. Start getting okay. ready for that one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that that might be six or eight. I don't know. Still debating that. Still debating it. Um, he's currently eighty years old, based based on that. Um, he's had prominent roles in Total Recall, which we discussed uh, earlier today. He he played you know Schwarzenegger's uh, partner, you know where they were they were working in the construction, and he ended up. Uh, you know, he was apparently a spy who was trying to make sure that, that nothing happens to him. Mm -hmm. And then he tries to kill Quaid. And in the end, Quaid, uh, who doesn't know he's Quaid, accidentally kills kills him and the other guys who he was with. He also has a role in City Slickers, a yep. great 
Do you remember that role? Uh, it's been a long time since I saw City Slickers, so I do not remember that role. It's when when they're in this, the, the school and both Billy Crystal and Robert Costanzo are telling, you know, what they, it's uh, bring your father to work uh, day where they're talking about their, their jobs. And he talks about the fact that he's a construction worker and how he got superhuman strength because uh, uh, something fell on some woman's legs who was walking through the construction site that she shouldn't have. And the whole time you hear him, he's like swearing in front of the kids and you see, you know, his pants are falling down as he's, as he's talking and stuff like that. Uh, he was also in Dick Tracy. He was in Forget Paris. And his very first role was in 1975 when he was 33 years old in the movie Dog Day Afternoon. Okay. So, yeah. so uh, he, he responds to, to John and says, sure, at the impound, next time, read the sign. And he points to a sign that says no parking anytime. Now, my first question is, is why would John park there and run inside to the airport? Yeah. <laughs> Besides the fact that we want to start this movie off on the wrong foot. Um, yeah, it, it's a good question. I don't have a good answer. It, it. <laughs> I've, I've never, been, I've never been uh, on the side of anybody complaining about getting a parking ticket or their car towed because you you don't park there. Like, that's right. There's a, there's a clear sign. It's right there. He, he must have expected this. It's busy. There's other, there's other cars. There's other traffic. This is just, this is entirely John's fault. So he's starting off on the on the wrong foot with me as well, with the audience as well. Like, okay, I, right, that's I don't think anyone can watch that's this and fair. go, "Yeah, I'm on the top side." <laughs> he should like uh, no, because because again, it's it's days before cell phones, so he doesn't have a cell phone. But he's supposed to know, you know, when I would think he would know when Holly's flight is supposed to come in. Yeah, you know, she has been delayed. We find so, out soon that she gets she's delayed. Right. We'll we'll find out later this week that she's been delayed. Yes, but he doesn't know that no. yet. But you know, he's not even parking next to the the baggage area. You know, he walked when when he's going to walk into the the airport. You see, he's walking into the departures area, which makes absolutely no sense from that perspective either, because he's supposed to be at arrivals or at the baggage claim, and he knows what time her plane is supposed to come in. So okay, so maybe, maybe this is his first. They're in Denver, I believe. They're in, they're in Denver. No, no, no. They're in Washington. It's being filmed in Denver. <laughs> okay, uh, so this is Dulles, Dulles Airport. Right. So uh, maybe this is his first time picking anybody up at this airport. Maybe he thought it would be less busy. Maybe he assumed that Hollywood plane would be on time, and that she would land, stroll out, and he'd just be sat waiting for her in this area. He, I, mean, I think he had like a kind of a, a military every, to the second, so she's gonna land and get out of here, and, and I'll be here. And so he he was like stopped waiting in the car, and he's like, oh, something's gone wrong. I'll just pop inside for a second, just check. Maybe he's been to the loo. I don't know. Either way, yeah, it's entirely know. his fault. I didn't. I have no no sympathy for him. Yeah, no, I don't have any sympathy for him either from that perspective, because this is not something that he should have done. No. And then basically the, he, he says, you, you don't understand. I'm here to meet my wife's plane. Let me have this car. Sure. Tomorrow, eight to four, pay 40 bucks. We give it back. How much do you think it costs today? So in 1990 or 1989, it cost $40 to get a card of impound in Washington, DC. How much do you think it costs today? In 2023, oh, I, uh, 160. I have no idea. 
Okay, it's a hundred dollars. Okay, to, for a regular towed vehicle. If it's an oversized vehicle, it's two hundred and seventy-five. Um, if you don't retrieve your car within twenty-four hours, they add twenty dollars a day. And if it was a, a vehicle that was booted and then it was towed, there's an additional seventy-five dollar charge. So I was correct if you didn't pick it up for three days. Yes. Okay. There you go. And again, if it's Friday and he's going to go to a hotel with his wife, so he's not going to pick it up till at least Sunday, if not Monday. There we go. Even though I have a feeling that Holly will will cancel their plans once she finds out that he doesn't have his her mother's car anymore. You know, I, I think that's part of the problem. But I don't know. We'll have to wait and see what happens with that. And then John says, "Don't don't write it up. Come on, this is my mother-in-law's car. She's already mad at me." So um, many years ago, I, I was a police officer for probably about seven or eight months. And one of the things that they, they made very clear to us in, during the police academy, I know everyone, you have that, 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 the, that song in your, in your head right now, the music of police academy. Trust me, I had it in my head for six months. Um, and uh, Robert so one Costanzo of these, was, a, was in the police academy TV series. Uh-huh, very good. So one of the things that they, they drilled into us is the fact that in some cases, a police officer who's giving a ticket has more power than a judge, okay? Because a judge, if, if someone comes, uh, you know, comes into court, the judge has to follow the law and can't, can't let you off uh, that something that's not written in the laws. He can't just say, oh, I feel bad for you. Okay, you're, you're, I'm going to let you go, okay? A police officer has the exact opposite uh power okay meaning if if robert costanza's character Vito decided he could have just you know let it go no one you know no one would say anything nothing nothing's uh no no harm no foul you know that yeah. type of thing the police officer had you know once they start writing the, the ticket then they, they have to continue writing it but until you write until you start writing the ticket um you do have the power to i guess you could say look the other way from that perspective uh, so in other words, he just wants to, you know, he wants to be an ass here, or maybe he just needs to have a quota or something. Or maybe he feels that he needs to punish this guy who's being an inconvenience to everybody else by parking in a no parking area on a very busy. That could be too. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> for as well as um, John McClane needs to learn from this mistake, I think. Do you, you think he's going to learn from it? You think I don't. Think, I don't think he's going to learn from it. <laughs> yeah, I agree. But he, I mean, he, I, he, he, I think he should be punished. I think he should, he should get the ticket. I am on Vito's side in this scene. <laughs> yes. No, I am too. I am too. Yeah. All right. Uh, you have anything else you want to say about this minute before we get into the script? Nope. Well. Uh, okay. So the, the the copy of the script that I have is the shooting script from November sixteenth, nineteen eighty nine. So you know, as as we as I stated earlier. They started filming this on the 14th of December. So this is from a month beforehand, a month before the, the, they started filming. So obviously there are going to be some changes here and there, and we, we shall get through them. So the script begins with the, the line, while we're in black, we hear a, a pneumatic ka-chunk. And then we hear McLean's voice, holy <laughs> whoa, whoa. And then it fades in, and it says, John McLean, long topcoat flapping, comes running out of the terminal towards an airport cop in plastic-covered uniform who is supervising a tow truck driver 
who in turn is manhandling a sedate sedan with Virginia plates and a grandmother on board sign in the rear window. And then the the text is, is all the same, except for the final line here, where McLean says, this is my mother-in-law's car. She already hates me. As opposed to in the movie, he says, she's already mad at me. So, you know, slight difference, but, you know, I, you know, and I'm glad also that they cut out the first line. There's no reason for him to, to have to, you know, start off the movie by saying, holy shit, whoa, whoa. Yeah. You know, I think it I think it works well by him saying, Hey, whoa, yo, yeah. false alarm, hold it. I think that works a little bit. His mother in law already hating him. That's not the cult's problem. He doesn't care. That's right. <laughs> that is very true. If she already hates you, don't do things to make that worse. Don't park your car in a no parking area. That's right. <laughs> Anything did not have to pay the parking fee, you know, why hoping he's he just wants the, you know, not pay however much he had to pay in order to park for for 10 minutes hoping that he's just going to quickly pick up his wife yeah yeah, yeah. That was cute. but i guess it makes it easier because if you would have parked what do you would have to pay for parking after all the events that that, that occur over the course of this night i mean there's a very <laughs> real chance that a plane <laughs> would land on his car <laughs> that's true also that's very true all right so every monday we have a segment called mclean monday where my guests will give their top five Bruce Willis films. So what have you got for us, Jay? A very difficult list to put together. Uh, in past seasons, I'd seen five Billy Crystal films, five Meg Ryan films, a much easier list. I've seen far more Bruce Willis films, as as you probably expect. Oh, I thought you were going to say you haven't seen five, uh, I've five seen, Bruce Willis films. Uh, uh, <laughs> a lot. I don't think I've seen most, because the past few years, he's done a lot of films I haven't seen. Uh, yeah, me too. But I, I think Darren's the only person who's seen all of them. Yeah, um, which that plays one, and I, I do not begrudge Bruce Willis from the rare choices he's made in the past few years, given what we know now about his medical conditions. Uh, but I've seen right. a lot of his films from the '90s and the 2000s, and I really like a lot of them as well. So this was a tricky list, but I'm gonna I'm gonna start off by setting fire to my whole list by number five, the role he was born to play, and Bruce Willis in Ocean's Twelve. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> If we're looking at the, his best roles, he's very good at playing himself. I, I, that's it's the scene that kind of ruins that, that franchise, even of uh, oh yeah, in this film, uh, uh, Julia Roberts' character Tess kind of looks like Julia Roberts. Like okay, calm down, film. Uh, but I, I do like his little cameo there as himself uh, being friends with. Anyway, it's a fun scene. Uh, okay, that's fair. You, you put the caveat that we can only pick at most one John McClane role. I think that is fair. Yeah, because uh, I don't want people saying, you know, Die Hard 1, Die Hard 2, Die Hard 3, Die Hard 4, and something else. I don't think that would happen. <laughs> but uh, for, I, I am including a, a John McClane role. Uh, my number four is Die Hard with a Vengeance. I think that is uh, Bruce Willis's best acting work in these films. Because I think he has the most... Because he's hung over for that whole film. <laughs> he has more acting okay. to do. Um, that is fair. That's... You know, he's always kind of beleaguered and, and the world against him. And I just think in in Die with a Vengeance, he's got all that. Plus he's sweaty because it's hot and he's hungry. It just, yeah, it just has more to do. <laughs> I, that's, that's my favorite Die Hard film. And I'm looking forward to talking about it. Uh, number three is Hartigan in Sin City. I film I really like. I think he's, he adds a lot to that. I love Sin City. I love the, the, the comics. I love the film. Uh, I just and Bruce Willis's presence in it is is excellent. He's he's playing very much on the John McLean kind of role of the grizzled ex-cop. 
that guy. But he does it very well in a comic book format. Uh, number two is we'll get into time travel filming there if I can. Looper, I think he's fantastic in Looper. Uh, his hair is a little bit silly at times in the montage scene, but he is excellent in a character that is difficult to root for at times. And that's kind of the point. You think he's going to be the hero. He's not as much the hero as you might think he is. Uh, he's excellent. And my number one is Unbreakable. Uh, love Unbreakable. Excellent film. I, a bit of glass is bleeding into Unbreakable as well a little bit, which he's also good in that. But I'm sticking with uh, Unbreakable as, as like that's that's the Bruce Willis centric film that he's he's just really good in it. He's just really like when he's learning about the powers that he's developed and and the, the weight scene with his kid. Excellent scene. He's yeah. he's fantastic in Unbreakable. I, I was toying between that yeah. one or The Sixth Sense, the other Shyamalan film, uh, but I went with Unbreakable in the end. Okay, that's fair. Did did has anyone? No one's done Unbreakable, have they? I don't um, think there is an Unbreakable minutes. No, I don't think so. Mm. Okay, so anyone out there who wants to do one, we're we're, we're interested in hearing it. Yeah, I'll I'll, I'll be a guest. All right, great. M- so Jay Shaman minute would be a fun podcast with some of the nah, yeah, I don't know about that. <laughs> I don't know. I don't. I don't think anyone would do much beyond the first two. I don't know. I, I think I think you'd get some people in there for signs. A Lady in the Water minute would be a hell of a podcast. I actually enjoyed Lady in the Water the first time I saw it. It's true. I've only seen it once, and I, I I've been meaning to rewatch. Probably cover it on deeper. I've been but... meaning to rewatch it at some point. So who knows? Maybe I will. It's such an audacious. Yes. Thing. It's, uh... That's true. Yeah. All right. It's great, Jay. You want to tell people how they can get in touch with you? Yes, I'll stick to my usual thing of doing a different plug every day. Uh, Deep Blue Sea, the podcast you mentioned earlier, seems fitting for my first plug for this one, is that is a Rennie Harlan film. Uh, he's Die Hard too. So everyone Deep Blue Sea, the podcast, myself and my co-host Mark Hoffmeyer, who I believe will be appearing in a future a week of this show. Yeah, long time uh, from now. Went, Mark, Mark wanted the snowmobile through... scene, so he's he's going to be here. Uh, of course he did. Yeah. Of course he did. So he'll be here, he'll um, be here in a few months. <laughs> yeah, so we, we went through Deep Blue Sea, scene by scene. We didn't do minute by minute. We couldn't we couldn't handle that. It didn't fit our, our schedules as well. Went through scene by scene, uh, 35 chapters for that first film. And then it turns out there were sequels. So we did Deep Blue Sea 2 and 3, 10 and 11 episodes each of those. We're now looking at Deep Blue Sea adjacent films, which are films featuring sharks or aquatic action or directed by Rennie Harlan. So we have done, at this point, most of Rennie Harlan's films. Only a few left to go. Rob, join me for uh, Born American. Yes. Uh, Rennie Harlan's first film. <laughs> Uh, which is worth watching. Uh, but it's it's not his best, but it's worth watching. Uh, prison film. Uh, surprising film. Uh, but yeah, so Deep Blue Sea, the podcast, you can find pretty much everywhere podcasts can be found. And follow us on Twitter at Deep Blue Sea Pod, Instagram, Deep Blue Sea Pod. The usual, the usual kind of places. Yeah. Having a fun time with it. And while you're doing that, you can go right review and subscribe to any podcast you might be using to listen to this show. Finding me is very simple. Just do a quick search for Move Your Own Minute. You can find me on Facebook. You can find me on Twitter. You can find me on my website, moveyourminute.com. Come. So, until tomorrow, yippee-ki-yay! Yippee-ki-yay! If you're fond of sand dunes and salty air, quaint little villages, if